You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. Hi, folks. Be sure to visit my website at dr-history.com for a short personal video message, to listen to the latest stories, and to leave a comment. Good morning, Dr. History. Good morning, Zeb. How you doing? You know, we could cheer all we wanted to, and none of our teams had Uh, success. Kind of came up short, but, you know... uh, Congratulations to him for making it that far. Yeah, and I love to watch good basketball, and we saw some good basketball. We did. Good. We did. Excellent ball players. It was fun to watch. And we also saw a heck of a lot of people. <laughs> there was <laughs> a lot, a of, lot of people there. Did yeah. you ever get enough seats for your family yes, to sit I, in one we, row? We moved down and we got a pretty good seat, right? Kind of in the middle there. Really? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Well, here we are back in the saddle with Dr. History, and what are we going to talk about today? Well, before we get going, I want to thank a few people. Okay. Jeff, a truck driver who has sent me some comments, uh, lives right around here locally. Uh, John, who sent me some information about Malawi, Africa. Okay. Peter, who lives in Rhode Island. That's that's a little ways from us, Zeb. Rhode Island. Rhode Island. And Melody in Washington, Olympia, Washington. Oh my goodness, they're and, they're ready to jump on us from way over there. Yeah, and then wow. there's a Mr. S. E. Swap, who I read his book called The Clevenger Gold, which is a true story about yeah. murder and yeah. lost treasure. So I just want to thank those people. You know, it's for those so comments. interesting. You should bring this up quickly because I had a guy. I won't mention any names, and I won't mention his business. I called him here about two, three weeks ago. Well, nobody listens to talk radio anymore and he gave me the spiel and i said oh really and then i gave him some of the stats on this program <laughs> and you know some people you can lead them to water but they won't make a sandwich out of it <laughs> they won't listen <laughs> all right we're going to get into this Zeb. how about range wars sheep men versus cattle they had one right here they did but we're not going to talk about that one. Oh, okay we're going to go over to the middle part of oregon okay, okay this is where all this took place over by burns uh more right actually in the middle, so not too far from Burns. Yeah. I see. Okay. So just picture this. Uh, even for men used to seeing slaughter, what these guys were seeing was really a bad sight. 500 sheep belonged to Fred Smith, uh, lay dead in the desert, shot to death. The corpses lay scattered among the lava rocks and the clumps of sagebrush. Somebody shot 500, 500. sheep? It was New Year's Day, wow. 1905. And it was war. Okay? Oh, my. Now, that afternoon, six men on horseback, disguised with masks and black faces, had descended upon the helpless shepherd as he was tending his flock. And they surrounded the frightened and un- unarmed guy. The riders jumped off their horses. They held him to the ground. They tied his wrists and his ankles and blindfolded him. Oh, my. Now, with the shepherd incapacitated, his sheep were now helpless, too. The riders remounted their horses and began rounding up the animals and uh, gathering together the herd of about 700. Now, with loud cries and war hoops, they drove them a short distance away and from where the shepherd lay and opened fire with rifles, dropping about 500 sheep right there on the spot. 
Wow. Now, what was left, a couple of hundred, they just ran off into the desert and were probably eaten by coyotes or wolves. Yeah. But anyway, their task complete, the six riders galloped off, and it was not the first such slaughter uh, this lonely country had seen in a few years, and it would not be the last. Now, during the mid and late 1800s, cattle ranching was king. Mm-hmm. Uh, Oregon's rolling rangelands and high plains country, you know, east of the Cascade Mountains. You, you've driven through there, Zeb. Oh, I've so rodeoed I, all over that country. Beautiful country. Yes, it is. But the stockmen from the Willamette Valley in western Oregon had been bringing their cattle to these parts each spring and summer since the 1860s. So for years, you yeah. know, 40 years, yep. uh, to take advantage of the good grass, the rangeland. They also drove their herds of cattle as many as 100,000 head through that region on their way to help feed gold miners in the mountains of northeast Oregon. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of a cattle drive coming east rather than west. Well, it's a sheep drive. Uh, well, cattle. Oh, you were talking the, cattle. Yeah, the, the cattle. I'm men sorry. Had, had, I, I got lost in the flock of sheep. <laughs> okay. now, pay attention, Seb. Okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. Uh, anyway, during this uh, period, you know, the cattle empires, they were being formed throughout the region along with a lot of smaller operations. But right. there were some big cattle barons uh, and great and small. Didn't most of the cattle barons, as you put it, come up from California? Yeah. In fact, a lot of the cattle drives actually went right through where we are right here sitting, through southern Idaho, or over into the Oregon area. But by the 1880s, cattlemen and sheepmen were sharing the range and not always peaceably. And during this period and over the following decades, railroad tracks were being laid from the main line along the Columbia River into central Oregon. And there was a town called the town of Shinico. Have you ever heard of that? Shinico? I don't... I you want to spell that for me? S-H-A-N-I-K-O. I do not know that. Is it, it still is, in existence? Well, I don't know. It's in Wasco County. Wasco County. Wasco. Well, so I'll look it up. Okay, so I looked it up, and it is kind of in the middle of the state. Okay. But anyway, uh, so this was established in 1879, and on the route of the Columbia Southern Rail Line, by 1903, this little town was being called the wool capital of the world. Wow. and was the primary distribution center for virtually all the sheep and wool produced across central and eastern Oregon. So it was a big business yeah. right there. But the railroad provided a more efficient and economical ways for both cattlemen and sheepmen to bring their goods to the world market. So it was a good thing for both sides. Yeah. But uh, it also uh, caused a little competition on the unregulated open range. Okay. Now, from a stockman's point of view, his cattle were here first. They were the first ones here. Right. And the open range was his, all right? The shepherd and his sheep were taking what wasn't theirs. There was a lot about sheep and shepherds the cattlemen didn't like. First, there were just two doggone many sheep. (laughs) (laughs) It was estimated that uh, between 1885 and 1910, perhaps as many as only 50,000 cattle and 340,000 sheep. Oh, my. Sharing this same open range. Really? This was not... Not a good thing. Okay? Uh-huh. Uh, so anyway, they looked at it. The cattlemen knew they were outnumbered. And the plot thickens. It is going to get thicker. <laughs> anyway, something else that kind of bothered the rancher was the sheep's eating habits. And you know this, Zeb. The cattle ate bunch grass and other wild native grasses. The sheep ate those too, but they also grazed on virtually every other weed and flower out on the range, snipping them off close to the ground. Yep. The cattlemen could tell when a herd of sheep had moved through an area because it was stripped of nearly all of its vegetation, leaving a virtual 
moonscape, if you want to call it that, behind. That, and that didn't sit too well with the stockmen, and you can understand that. Absolutely. So, And finally, it was the very nature of the sheep business that kind of rubbed the cattlemen the wrong way. The shepherd usually tended his charges on foot. In cowboy country, real men rode horses. For that, the ranchers looked upon the shepherd and regarded him as kind of an inferior being. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not going to say too much here. <laughs> I know, because I got. So I grew up with some guys, some of my friends, their dad were sheep men, and they were also horsemen, too. Yeah. So, But anyway, it's just getting plain harder and harder for the cattlemen. Uh, the ranchers let their cattle graze year-round on the open range in the spring. They moved their herds into the high country of the Blue Mountains and eastern slopes of the Cascade Mountains, where the animals could uh, have new grass uh, to, uh, to feed on. But as more cattle, horses, and sheep came to be grazed in the region, this is when the conflicts erupted, okay? The cattlemen raced to get their cows into the mountains first while the sheepmen drove their flocks with the same idea. They wanted to get there to the area first, you know. So it was only a matter of time before something had to give. So the ranchers got fed up first. They complained about the sheep. Uh, men bringing their their flocks into this area, letting them ra- graze right down to where the ranchers were, and that was just too much. Something had to be done. So here's where the plot thickens. <laughs> Look out! Time for a commercial. Here no, we we're going to stay with. We're going to keep going. Anyway, so the stockmen of the Izy country had a little meeting one day in 1896. They formed a civic organization they called the Izy Sheep Shooters. I dare you, sheep for the shooters. sake of staying on the air, to say that fast five times. Well, it's going to come a few more times. Anyway, their new organization would discourage the sheep men through the persuasive methods of such famous Western diplomats as the Colt 45, the Winchester, and the Smith & Wesson. I see. That was their friends. So whenever a flock of sheep came too close to the cattleman's ranch, the IZ sheep shooters would ride out to explain to the... You're you're living dangerously. (laughs) They went out to the shepherd to explain to him the error of his way. They would hold him and his camp tender at gunpoint while they shot as many of the offending sheep as possible. It wasn't long before word got out among the cattlemen about what a fine job these IZ sheep shooters were doing. (laughs) Folks, I wish you could see his face. He needs a drink. i got to have a drink. Okay. Well, it just so happened that the ranchers to the west of this area were having the same problem with sheep men, uh, bringing in their sheep and crowding the ranchers. So the Paulina ranchers invited a representative from the IZ sheep shooters <laughs> to come to talk to them about forming a similar organization on their own. So out of this neighborhood came a guy by the name of Henry Snodgrass. Okay? Snodgrass. Uh, oh, now Snodgrass. that. Mix Snodgrass in with the other yeah, sheep shooters. Snodgrass the sheep shooter. <laughs> Anyway, the the meeting was held in July of 1898 under a ponderosa pine tree. Nearly 40 men gathered around a roaring campfire, and they listened to Snodgrass describe how the IZ sheepshooters operated (laughs) and what its mission was. Now, secrecy and, above all, loyalty were imperative in success for evading the law. All right? Because, obviously, it wasn't. It was against the law to go out and shoot people and and their animals. So... Anyway, the leader declared declared that if any man did not want to join the brotherhood of sheep haters and was unwilling to do what was necessary to drive the sheep out of the country, he should leave now and go home and go to bed. In other words, it's kind of like, if you're a coward, go ahead and get up and leave. Yeah, but there's a right and a wrong. I know. It wasn't anything to do with being cowardly. No, and but I think there was some pressure, Yeah, so to speak. 
Now, the rules of the game were so serious that an oath had to be taken by each man who wanted to be a member. If while they were engaged in killing sheep, it became necessary to kill a shepherd or a camp tender, the victim would be buried on the spot. If one of their members were killed in the course of a sheep shooting operation, his body would be brought home for burial. Now, and if any other uh, other company were apprehended by the law and made to stand trial, his fellow vigilantes were obligated to lie under oath to protect him. So it was wow. kind of a it's secret kind of a, society a thing. A KKK type yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. So Snodgrass went around the campfire man by man and made each man swear to these conditions. Wow. Now... The Inland Sheep Shooters were born. That's the new organization. Inland. Inland Sheep Shooters. Okay. Now, the other Sheep Shooters sprang up locally here and there along the Oregon Rangeland. So there were other smaller groups through, d- oh. doing the same thing. But the Inland Sheep Shooters would become the largest and most effective of the bunch. Between 1898 and 1906, uh, the ranchers would destroy thousands of sheep and murder one man. Wow. Now, the first thing that Paulina Stockman did was to establish a boundary, which they called a deadline. And that we had one of those right here, Zeb. Deadline ridge? Yeah. Uh, over which they would let no sheep pass. Well, they marked the boundary, sent a warning to the sheepmen that any sheep that crossed south of that would be killed. Well, the biggest sheep slaughter that the Paulina Stockman ever pulled off was at a place called Benjamin Lake. And again, this is right in mid-Oregon. Mm-hmm. 1903, that spring, three different sheepmen from a place called Summer Lake, had brought their sheep to Benjamin Lake, making for a combined flock of about 2,700 sheep. 2,700? Yeah. Okay. All right. Now, arriving at camp and wearing masks, a posse of sheep shooters jumped the herder on duty, put a sack over his head. They went looking for the tender, which is another sheep man, and slipped a sack over his head. The sheep shooters casually rode out of camp and into this 2,700 sheep, Zeb, they began shooting, and when they were done, they had shot 2,400 sheep. Oh, That's my. a lot of sheep. That is a lot of yeah. sheep. And the sheep killing continued in February 1904. Five masks and armed men uh, attacked a camp containing 3,000 head and destroyed a whole bunch of those. Four months later, 10 masked men killed more than 2,000 sheep. And more than a thousand sheep died in another raid in July that same. So you, we're getting to the thousands. Think, think though of the logistics of the situation, carrying all that ammunition, and then also where was the law? Well, that's a good question. Yeah. So anyway, the the local newspaper, the Morning Oregonian in Portland, provided an annual report. Of, they said between eight and ten thousand sheep slaughtered during that quote shooting season. Well, okay, I, I don't mean to beleaguer this point, but if they knew there was a problem and there were past problems, why weren't there law officials trying to curb the problem? I'm going to bet that the sheepmen may have been a lot of times foreigners, and the cattlemen were longtime residents of the area, and oh. I'm just guessing that the, the lawmen were their friends. I see. So that's just my guess. Okay. But anyway, the sheepmen had tried to work out their differences with the stockmen. In 1904, the Central Oregon Wool Growers Association held a meeting to discuss the range war and appointed several emissaries to meet with the cattlemen to discuss a truce, but it was a no-go. Cattlemen, they weren't going to do it. So the sheep killings continued, and the sheepmen's sheds and haystacks were burned. So it wasn't just... It was property besides animals. What did the sheepmen do, if any, in retaliation? As far as we know, nothing. They were way outnumbered. 
And if you think about it, a cattle ranch requires a lot more men yeah. to take care of cattle than, than the sheep. Yeah. I mean, really, two two people can handle 3,000 3, sheep. But you would think that these guys going in, whether they were foreigners or not, whether they were Basque or whatever, coming into this area, they would have researched it a little bit after there were previous yeah. problems so that they didn't have the problems. Yeah. Well... In, eight, in 1904, there was a sheep herder. He was a paid visit by a group of masked men. They warned him to remove his sheep. A couple of weeks later, they returned, riding into them. More than 2,000 sheep shouting. They panicked. Animals actually began to stampede and ran over a nearby cliff. So they killed like wow. several thousand just by that. Wow. Well, you know, ironically, the range war that probably killed at least 10,000 sheep and one man uh, was ended not by lawmen, but by the stroke of a pen. In 1902, the federal government established what they called the Blue Mountains Forest Reserve. Now, this divided those lands into grazing allotments for both the sheepmen and the cattlemen. Well, is that over there by Pendleton, then? I, I believe it is, yeah. yeah. But the range war was ended... Um, at that point, and you know that was kind of the end of it. But see, to say that there was only one man killed right yeah. here by us, Zeb, there were three sheep men killed. There was a guy named Gobo Fango that was killed over by Oakley. Right. There was Wilson and Cummins Cummings that were killed right over here by Rock Creek. Right. And that was the big story about Diamond Field Jack. Diamond Field Jack. This, yeah. That they thought had killed those two sheep men when in fact he did not. It just seems to me, and uh, naturally, I've always been on the side of the cattle. I mean, that's the way I was born, etc. But you would have thought that after initial problems, there could have been some kind of a meeting of the minds so that they could work out something that would be acceptable to both parties. Or yeah. did the cattlemen say, there is no acceptability, you're all going to leave? Well... And I wonder a little bit about the stubbornness of the sheep men. You know? that, that's exactly the point I'm getting at. So, yeah. you know, why? I mean, why, why neither not? side is guiltless. Right, exactly. Yeah. So the sheep men, maybe if they would have kept their sheep in the areas designated, there you go. they would have been okay. Now, like you, Zeb, I, I grew up with uh, cattle, but I also had some of my good friends that their dads had sheep, yeah. and I helped them herd sheep uh, on several occasions in the summer. And in fact, you know, you probably remember this: they used to go into the beet fields after the beets had been harvested, and section off a eighty-acre field, and the sheep would go in there and eat the beet tops. Yeah. And after that, they'd move them maybe to another beet field. It just seems to me that there could have been some kind of a copacetic relationship. Yeah, and, and I guess finally it did happen, but after the loss of thousands and thousands of oh, sheep, yeah. and I, I guess luckily only one man that, that was killed, at least over in that area. Yeah. But this happened not just in Oregon, you know. Like I say, it happened here right around us, here in southern Idaho. Uh, I'm sure other areas, maybe probably Montana. How big a region, if you will, state by state, was really a problem for sheep and cattlemen? Do you know? You know, I don't. I... In reading this story, I looked up on the Internet to, to kind of get an idea geographically. Yeah. And it looks like it was mostly on the east side of the Cascade Mountains. This way. Yeah. Uh, and towards, like you said, Pendleton, Oregon, over that direction. Yeah. Kind of east and maybe northward a little bit. Wow. But, again, during this time, you know, there's a lot of uh, and you miners. Another thing, too, that really bothers me is you mentioned about the, uh, the sheep herder. And yeah. basically, he's probably got, what, 2,000, 2,500 head of sheep? Right. You would have thought after the initial problem that the sheep owners would have said, hey, we need more security. Right. 
Well, and even now, Zeb, when you you go down the road, you can look out and you can see a sheep camp. Yeah. And you can see... Uh, one man, three dogs, and one horse. And one horse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's it. And that's all they need, which, compared to cattle... You yeah. know, it's much easier to take care of a herd of sheep. One rider, three dogs, they went that away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. But uh, anyway, just another kind of story about the range wars that took place. And it's not place. that long ago. No. When it you really think wasn't. about it. No. I mean, you said 1906, right? Right. Yeah. Okay, well, that's not that far ahead of your and my birth. And, <laughs> that's and true. And there was a lot of things a going on. A lot closer to your birth. Nah, don't give me a <laughs> But no, seriously, I mean, when you look at history, uh, some of the outlaws and some of the things that happened, not that far well, uh, ahead of us. Well, consider Diamondfield Jack Absolutely. lived until about, I think it was like 1952. He was killed by a, a taxi. taxi cab down in Las Vegas. In Las wasn't Vegas. He? He yeah. got hit. Here's a guy that had escaped being hung yeah. and killed a number of times, and he gets, he gets run over by a yellow cab. And That'll was, teach him to wave his arm and ask for a cab. And was penniless. He had nothing. He, he was, got in the gold business, too. And he, he became a multimillionaire. After yeah. this, all, all that happened here in Idaho, yeah, down in Nevada, he went and discovered some gold mines, yeah. and he was a multimillionaire. Yeah, lost it all and got run over by a taxi. taxi. See, be careful. Yeah, watch out for taxis. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that story. What are we going to talk about next week? Uh, well, you're yeah, going to have a little vacation. I might. It okay. just could happen. All right. Well. I want to tell you how much I appreciate that, and fortunately, today has it subsided. Yes. Okay, good. Yes. Uh, once again, Zeb, thanks to those people that that I mentioned at the beginning of the station. I, good people. I, I always uh, email back. When people send me comments, I always email back to them and, and thank them. What for, about the for man them. in Rhode Island, though? What did he say? Uh, he just kind of, uh, you know, I... Tuned us in, huh? Yeah, he, they just kind of listen and they enjoy the... the What's his the name? Show. We'll say good morning to him. Peter. Peter. Hello, Peter back in Rhode Island. Jeff and John and Peter and Melody. Yes, thank you for listening. Thank you. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.